You're listening to the audio sermon podcast of First Baptist Church of Marble Falls, Texas. For almost 130 years, FBCMF has served Marble Falls and the greater Highland Lakes area faithfully through children's programs, youth activities, and adult discipleship. We invite you to join us each and every Sunday morning at 9 and 10.30 a.m. for deep fellowship, rich worship, and a spirit-filled message. For those who find themselves unable to attend on a Sunday morning, we stream those services. Simply visit fbcmf.live during either of our service times to view it. Never miss an archived sermon by subscribing to our podcast on either SoundCloud or iTunes. And to learn more about our church or watch a video version of this and other sermons, please visit us online at fbcmf.org. When was the last time that you thought the words, I wonder when it's going to be my turn? Sometimes I come to church and I meet somebody and they begin to share with me their their story lately about the recent diagnosis and uh, all of the trips to Indy Anderson and um, all of the procedure that they're going through and and that first there has to be an operation and then there has to be radiation and then there has to be a long string of of chemotherapy and and I listen to them and uh, pray for them often and I leave and I go home with my family and we're relatively healthy and there is this feeling inside that, that their lives have just been turned upside down with this cancer thing. And I, and I think, man, when is it going to be my turn to face something kind of like that? Because you know that in a world that's full of pain and in a world that is broken, that it's not a matter of if, but it's a matter of when and what and how intense and how long that pain comes into our lives and we deal with it. Um, you run into an old friend perhaps and, and you're getting reacquainted and he begins to tell you about his 23-year-old son who is in trouble again and uh, he doesn't know what to do about it or his daughter perhaps and, and he says that his grown-up, his adult daughter is in drugs once again and this time she refuses to receive treatment. And so you try to empathize with him but, but then you... You go and, and you think about your kids or maybe your grandkids and the thought crosses your mind. I wonder if, if there's something coming in our life that, that, that will just turn our life upside down, whether it's like that or like something else. And you think, I wonder when it's going to be my turn to deal with it. Or maybe you go to a game and you're sitting in the bleachers and you're watching you know, your, your, your team play and you're visiting with somebody and he shares with you something about the recent accident and, uh, and you say, accident, man, that sounds bad, tell me about it. And, and he pulls his, his pants leg up and he shows you just this huge scar on his leg and he talks to you about how he was in the hospital for a long, long period of time and all of the operations trying to set it right and the, the bolts that are through it and all of those things. And, and he says, but I'm, I'm very lucky to be alive. I'm very happy to be where I am today. And then he gets his crutches and he hobbles off and you walk away on two good legs And you start to think, my goodness, I I wonder when it's going to be my turn. Because in a broken world, the Bible says that rain falls on the the just and the unjust. It comes on all of us in a broken world. It's a matter of what and and, and how severe. There is no such thing as pain immunity. 
Just ask Jairus. What you need to know about Jairus is this, that in Jairus' life, it's his turn. It's his turn to have his whole, whole life just turned upside down. Now, when this happens to you, and when it happens to me, where can we turn for, for a little bit of hope? And in this story, what we learn is what Jesus Christ is like when it is our turn. And when our worlds have been turned upside down, what we can expect um, from Jesus and what he is like during moments like this. Now, in this story, Jesus is in the, uh, a boat coming over from the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and he banks it up onto the shores of a little town called Capernaum. And the Bible says that the crowds just begin to swarm him. They're, they're everywhere. And there's a particular man, though, that beats his way through the crowd, and he, he comes to Jesus and he starts begging him, and he falls at Jesus' feet, and he's pleading with him, please, please, my, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she can live again. And y'all, the guy just crashes to the ground. Um, he, he doesn't care who sees him. He doesn't care how embarrassing it is. It's like a moment in your life where you're so compelled with some burden that, that, that all of the time during the invitations of this church, when you've been reluctant to come to an altar perhaps, that the burden is so great that at this moment, it doesn't care, you don't care who sees you, you just come and you just crumble at the altar and you can begin, that, that's where the man is. And, and he's holding on to Jesus' ankles and he begins to plead with him, please, please, please Jesus, my, my little girl, if you only knew her, if you ever saw her and you looked at her eyes, they're so pretty, and uh, she has the best hair. And um, Jesus, she, she runs and she plays, and she's going to be smart. And uh, Lord, she's dying, and I need your help. Can you do something? Now, in order to understand who this man is, we have to take a, a moment and understand the geography, actually, of the moment. And so I have a map, and I want to show you so that you can understand Jairus' situation. Here's the first map. So this is where it's all kind of happening. This is, the, this is my Baylor Green pointer for everybody. The, uh, the, this is Africa, and this is the northeastern part of Africa, and here's Egypt, and here's Sudan down here. So this is all Africa. And then this is Saudi Arabia. Here's Jerusalem, and as you go up for Jerusalem, here's Syria, where all of the war and the refugees and all that stuff is taking place. This is Syria. And you go a little bit east of Syria, and you go down this way, and, and this right here is Iraq. And then you kind of go across, and all of this right in here is um, Iran, all right in here. And then this right here is Turkey. And then you go across, and uh, this is Greece up in here, and you get into Europe over here. And then here's the United States, way, way <laughs> over here. Um, that's where we are. And, and so now what I want to do is I want to blow this part right here up, just this part. I want to expand on that. Okay, go to the next map. All right, here we are. It's divided into three kind of little areas. Here's Judea, and then here's Galilee, and right in between them, there's this area called Samaria. This is where Jesus spent his entire life. He never really left this area. Down here in the bottom part of Judea, this is where you have Jerusalem, and then you have Bethlehem where he was born. But up here, this is where Nazareth is, where he was raised. And this is where they were coming down from when Jesus um, was born. Up here in Galilee, this is his hometown. Jesus is often called the Galilean 
because it's up here in this area, and this is the Sea of Galilee. And, uh, and, and, and right here, you see all these little dots. These are the little port cities all along the Sea of Galilee. And this one right here, that's Capernaum. And Jesus did a lot of things in Capernaum. And this is where the story is going to find us. And what's happening is Jesus has been over here on the east side of the Sea of Galilee, and now he's taking the boat, and he's going back over, and he banks it up on the Sea of, Ga of Capernaum, and everybody comes out. Now, here, here's what's going on. When the people start coming out, this one man named um, Jairus comes out to Jesus. And, and here's what you have to know about Jairus. A few chapters before... In Mark chapter 1, Jesus is in that town called Capernaum, and he goes into the synagogue, where, which is their church, and there is a man that has a demon living inside of him, and Jesus heals him inside the synagogue. And, uh, and, and remember, a while ago when we were think, reading the text, Jairus is the synagogue ruler. And so he would have seen all of that, or at least he certainly would have heard about it, what Jesus did in the middle of that worship service when he healed that guy. Now, right after Jesus healed that guy, he does another thing there in Capernaum. He goes to his mother-in-law, Peter, uh, Peter's mother-in-law's house, and there is a man who is lowered by, by three friends. They rip the ceiling apart, and Jesus is in, is in this house, and they lower this guy and he's a paralytic, and Jesus heals him. And all of that has happened in that town, Capernaum. And so Jairus has heard all of this. And uh, when Jesus comes back in this boat um, to Capernaum, we're not told what opinion Jairus has of Jesus, but we know he's heard about Jesus. But we don't know much about him. We don't know if Jairus is one of the Pharisees who gave Jesus a hard time all the time. And we don't know if, if Jairus even liked Jesus very much. We don't know all of that. Here's what we know. We know that Jairus is a man who is absolutely desperate. That's what we know. He is desperate, and he's heard the stories of Jesus, and so he comes and he, he crashes his body at Jesus' feet, and he begins begging him, please, please, my, my little girl, man, needs your help. Please come. There's a Christian philosopher named Nicholas Walterstorff, and uh, he lost a son one day in a climbing accident. And he wrote a book called Lament for a Son. And it's a little book, and he journals all the things that he was feeling because of the loss of, of this boy. And, um, and he says some very powerful things in it. And one of the things that he said was, we brace ourselves that someday we may have to bury our parents. We prepare ourselves to bury our parents. But we are never prepared to bury our children. When you lose your parents, you lose a significant part of your past. But when you bury your children, you lose a significant part of your future. If this little girl dies they will lose all of the pre-adolescent giggling in the house. And they will lose the wedding, and they will not have grandchildren from her, and they will be prematurely empty nesters, something that they're not prepared for. And so there is something absolutely desperate in, in, in the voice of Jairus as he is doing this, um, one parent who almost lost his son talked about when it happened that there's something inside your system that approaches near panic. 
And he says, my child was about to die, and so everything else, everything else, every problem, every other piece of work that I was doing, everything else and every issue just disappears. And, and y'all, this is what's happening right now in, in Jairus' system, where, where neurologically and mentally and emotionally, all these things are simply um, caught up with one focus, and that is do anything you possibly can to help your daughter and her life be saved. And, and time was of the essence because she was dying. And it's a very common thing in that time period. People's children died all the time. But Jairus is doing everything he can, and time was of the essence, and it's ticking. And the Bible says that Jesus didn't waste any time. I, I love it. He come, Jairus comes and says, I need your help. And, and immediately, Jesus is going. And I, I can imagine that as they're going, it's not a slow walk. If, if, if this were me, man, I, I'd be like, Jesus, I love you. You got to pick it up. We got to go, man. Let's be on the run. Let's be on the jog a little bit here. I mean, they're, they're moving. But on the way there, something happened. Uh, you see, when they were on the Sea of Galilee, there was lots of room. And there was a huge crowd that was there. But, but picture where they're having to go. This huge crowd is now going to go and watch Jesus heal this little girl. And, and so they're all going with him. But now the, the sea is turned into the little alleyways in between all of the homes. And so they're, they're being bottlenecked, aren't they, as they're walking. Hundreds and hundreds of people now being squeezed into eight-foot kind of alleyways as they're going in between various homes and everything, taking the shortest, quickest path that they can. And so on the way, all of these people are just crowding, crowding as they're trying to walk. It, it's like being stuck on a huge subway. And, uh, and, and the people are just everywhere. Have any of you ever been on a subway? It feels like this. And uh, they're, they're just people, man, and, 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 and you're being squeezed everywhere. Jesus is in the middle of this crowd, and they're all just squeezing him. And then he stops, and he says... Who touched me? And his disciples are like, um, everybody? Everybody? And Jairus is there like, uh, who cares? <laughs> Let's get a move on. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Somebody touched me. And I want to know who it is. Who did it? We interrupt this trauma to bring you a second trauma. What is it like when, G what is Jesus like when it's your turn? A woman who had been bleeding and had this issue for 12 years, it wasn't a bad day, it wasn't a bad month, this is turning into a bad life. How long was this thing going to last for her and... Uh, Maybe some of you, you've been in a situation and your world has been turned upside down for a long, long time. And you're thinking, how long? How long? And you say, well, if this lady's been hurt that bad, why doesn't she get some help? I mean, there, there, there are medications. There, no, no, no. She's done all that. She, she's tried to get all the help. Here's what the text says. She had suffered a good deal under the care of many doctors. Doctors, I hope you do a better job than that. She suffered under the care of many doctors. She spent every dime she had, but she got worse and worse. And so she heard that Jesus was coming, 
and she, she, she sneaks up behind him, doesn't she? And, and she tells herself, if I can only touch part of his clothing, and she's trying to be sneaky, and she's trying to be covert. She doesn't want anybody else to see. Now, Mark, as he is writing this, he is taking two different miracle stories, and he is juxtaposing them against one another. He takes the story of Jairus, this man who, who, who comes, and he doesn't care who sees, and he throws himself at the feet of Jesus. Everybody can see. But then on the other hand, there is this woman, and she is sneaking, and she's covert, and she doesn't want anybody to see. But if I could just touch, touch his clothes, and she makes it, and she touches his clothing, and the Bible says immediately her, her bleeding stops, and she felt her body, and for the first time in a long time, it's free, free from the suffering, free from all of the pain, not three weeks later, not the next day, right then, the moment she touched Jesus, she was free. And this infusion of, of health and, and strength, something that she had not felt in 12 years, now all of a sudden her body is healed and she feels it. She's like, my stomach, and, and, and it, it, it feel, I feel great. And you know what she's thinking. She touches it, and she's like, I'm healed. And she's thinking, I'm free. I'm free. I'm healed. Yes. And then Jesus says, who touched me? And she's like, no. <laughs> ah. Who touched me? What is it like? What is Jesus like? when it's your turn. Here's what he is like. The Bible says something very strange right here. It says uh, this word, uh, um, at once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. I don't understand that. Uh, he realized power had gone out from him. I can't prove this. And uh, for, for all of you who are theologians, I, maybe you can figure this out, but I just have a question about the text. Did healing people cost Jesus something? When, when he laid his hands on somebody and he healed them, did they receive an influx of, of energy and did he receive some kind of depletion of, of energy? Did healing cost Jesus something? She she reaches out and she touches him and the Bible says that immediately she's made well and she feels it. She feels free of all of it. And at the same time, he feels that power had left him. I, I don't know, but, but I know this, that, that on a cosmic level, at a big, big kind of level, the, the Bible talks about, and we need to remember from time to time that our freedom from sin and our freedom and healing in this life cost Jesus something. That, that hundreds of years before this was ever uh, preached, Isaiah talked about it, and, and he said, talking about Jesus, but he was pierced for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities, and the punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. And we talk about how free grace is and about how wonderful it is, but we, we, we need to remember that although grace is free for us, it was not free for Jesus Christ. It cost him something, and by his wounds, we, we are healed. It cost Jesus something to restore me to God. 
And if you ever wonder, what is Jesus like when it's my turn? What we see in this text is that we have a Savior who never stands back, but a Savior who allows the full hurt of our lives to to come and rest on Him, of our life. Now, Now, while He is dealing with this woman, what else is going on here? Jairus. What happened to Jairus? He's still standing there. And, and all of the people are there, and uh, he says, who touched me? And the disciples say, everybody. And, uh, and, and then and Jairus is thinking, are you kidding me? We're ready to go. And then in verse 33, this is what happened. The woman fesses up. She falls at Jesus' feet, trembling with fear. She tells him the what? The whole? Whole church? How long does that take? Twelve years. All right, Jesus, let me catch you up to speed. Twelve years. So 12 years ago, I start feeling bad. I go to this doctor here in Caesarea, but you know the doctors in Caesarea. Just a little town, you know. We, and, and so the doctors here in Caesarea told me that I really needed to go down um, or from Capernaum. I needed to go down to another doctor in, in Caesarea or Jerusalem and that they're really good. But when I got to the doctors in Jerusalem, they told me that they don't accept Capernaum insurance. Can you believe that? <laughs> So I go down there, and it doesn't work out at all. I got to get, you know, back on the donkey, go all the way back. I'm feeling bad this entire time, Jesus. So I get all the way back. While I'm there, I hear about this great holistic doctor. So I go, and I talk to him, and Jesus, and in the middle of all of this, Jesus is just standing there, and he's going, oh, yeah, tell me about it. Wow, that sounds awful. And during this conversation, can you think of anybody who may be a little bit annoyed by all of this conversation? Anybody at all? I mean, Jairus. Poor Jairus. He, he's going, um, excuse me, but she's been hurt for 12 years. A few more minutes isn't going to do her any, you know, not bad. And also, she, you've already healed her. You, you don't have to have the conversation. Let's go. And Jairus is saying, come on, come on, man, we, we, we got to go. And in the middle, in the middle of, of saying, come on, we have to go, um, somebody else comes and, and it's not good news. Do you, have you ever experienced how when somebody is going to bring you bad news, you can sense it, you feel it, they call you on the phone, you can hear it in the tone of their voice, they're walking up to you by, by their gate and, and you can say, this is not great news. And the guys come, and, and, and when they start walking, sometimes we have a tendency in the biblical narrative to just kind of skip over to the healing. And what we need to do is probably camp on the pain for just a second in the text. And uh, so the guys are coming, and, uh, and you don't want them to come. And Jairus probably sees them, and he's like, come on, Jesus, come on. They're coming. I see this. And uh, they come and they, they tell Jairus, it's too late. We're so sorry. We love you, buddy. But your little girl, is she's gone. And uh, she died. And so they will be now prematurely empty nesters. And there will be no more pre-adolescent giggling in the house. And the wedding that the mother had thought about, will not take place, and uh, they won't get to be the grandparents. 
And so Jairus just starts giving up, and, uh, and his friends say to him, um, let's go. Don't bother Jesus anymore at all. Let's just go. And in the middle of that beginning to walk off, right as he is thinking, I'm just leaving, I'm, I'm going, there is, there's something here in the text, and, and we want to say, go where? Where, where? where are you going? The host of heaven kind of cries into the text saying, Jairus, Go where now? Where, where, where are you going to turn? Where are you going to go? Where, where do you turn when it's your turn? Do you think that credit card's going to help? More spending and more stuff? Do, do, do you think that another sip, another drink of wine, or another drink of alcohol is going to fix it? That that's where you turn? Do you think that, that the food... The eating the food is going to help and, and make sense of all the issue and, and somehow that, that bluebell will turn it all back right side up. You see, sometimes when, when tragedy comes, I, I don't know why this is, occasionally when tragedy comes, what we feel like doing is turning away from Jesus at the moment. And, uh, but if we only knew what Jesus is like when it's our turn, and the way that we begin to see it in this text is several places. One, he turns to the lady. One, he allows himself the power to leave him. But we see something else here. In all of it, he comes to this moment where he tells Jairus, whoa, don't go anywhere. Just keep believing. Let's go. I, I want to go to your house, and, and, and I want to see this little girl. Let's go, Jairus. Don't be defeated. Don't give up here. Stick with me, Jairus. Stick with me, bud. And so they go to Jairus' house, and, and everybody is crying, and Jesus says, no, she's asleep. They laugh at Jesus, and he says, well, then y'all leave. And he goes upstairs, and, 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 and the parents are there watching, and he goes up to this little girl, and he grabs her by the hand in the most gentle, gentle words, I think that are possibly in Scripture. He just leads down at her, and he, he says, Talitha kum." And it's just so peaceful. He says, my dear little girl, get up. And her eyes open, and her feet swing off the bed, and she begins to get up right at that moment. I believe that the, that the way and the reason Jesus is able to tell any one of you out there to get up is because Jesus got up from the cross in the grave. And it is through his own power to get up that he's able to speak into our lives and help us to gently get up as well. He tells her, Talitha Kum, get up, little girl. But with those words, he didn't only help a little girl get up, he helped the daddy get up too, right? He helped the mommy get up, and he helped the church get up, the whole synagogue. He helped an entire town get up that day. And the way that, and the reason Jesus is able to do it is because he got up and he defeated death and he is able to achieve life. He has both the love and the power to help us get back to our feet when it's our turn. When it's our turn. So first he stops and he turns toward us and he touches us in a way or allows us to touch him in a way that, that, that our healing 
and our recovery costs him, costs him, and yet he's still willing to pay it. And then he says, rise up. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, the prophet is thinking about this idea that God speaks into people's lives, and he says this, for those that wait on the Lord and hope in the Lord, he will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings as eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. And I'm reminded that the real promise of that verse is not that you're always going to feel like soaring with the eagles. The real promise of that verse is not even that you're always going to feel like running. The real promise of that verse is this, that when you can't see how you're even going to take a step forward today, that Jesus speaks into that and he says, but you will walk and not faint. You know, y'all, sometimes just walking is a miracle in and of itself. And he says to you, you're just going to walk until you get to the time when I give you the strength to run again. And don't worry, you'll feel like running again. And then you see yourself running and he says, and don't worry, one day you're going to feel like soaring with the eagles again. It may not be today, but it's going to come. And so we wait on the Lord who turns toward us, who gives us the the recovery based on his own difficulty that he's willing to pay, and based on all that, he can tell us, Talitha Kum. He uses your name. He uses our church. He can even say to all of us right now, Ecclesia Kum, meaning church, rise up. Church, rise up. I know bad things happen. They're the result of being in a fallen and messed up sinful world. But in all of it, we do have a Savior who turns toward us. And so, folks, would you turn toward him this morning? Would you turn toward Jesus? You've been listening to the audio sermon podcast of First Baptist Church of Marble Falls, Texas. Never miss an archived sermon by subscribing to our podcast on either SoundCloud or iTunes. And to learn more about our church or watch a video version of this and other sermons, please visit us online at fbcmf.org.